Hello, welcome to Mark Langley's Horsemanship Podcast, a podcast helping people to understand their horses better, to provide solutions in a calm, connected way. I'm Jenny Barnes. And I'm Mark Langley. Today we're going to talk to Mark about how some of his training is different from other approaches. Some of you who are familiar with Mark might have had some questions um, and some things may have come up while you've been training your horses, wondering why Mark does certain things or perhaps there might be a bit of a crossover between what you've learned and what Mark's been teaching. And we just want to chat to Mark today to try and sort of nut out some of these um, slightly gray areas and some that are definitely not gray they're black and white but just to probe mark a little bit to get a little bit more clarity on um, the training that he's doing and and why he's doing it so mark I'm just going to ask you first off just to um, fill us in a little bit about why you first started training horses well I'd, I'd grown up all my life with horses so uh, it was one of those things um, uh, I felt there was always a part of me and I wanted to, I was at a stage in my life when I was doing different things. I'd been over to the States and I'd, I'd managed some horses in so a horse place in Scotland. Uh, not the horse place, I managed the horses on a horse place and um, up with with horses, on horses. Um, yeah, most of my life did, did some pony club and then, you know, the horse trekking and all that. And uh, I guess I got to a stage that it was something when I came back from traveling, I saw, you know, pieces and doing different things. And I thought, I, you know, I think I really want to take on horses and maybe just start some horses in it. Uh, and that was at the time that, you know, I, you know, had a, had a, had a, had a dream to sort of build a house. And that's when, you know, we built the house and, um, and I guess training horses was a good and I wanted to do it and I had a passion to sort of learn more. Um, funny enough, though, at that, that stage in that age, I think um, I think I knew a bit and then I realised when I first took on a lot of horses, there was a lot I probably didn't know at the time. But um, And then from there it progressed and, and, I, and it, in some, some ways it was a very steep learning curve. Uh, because then all of a sudden I had a responsibility where I had to sort of um, produce, um, you know, a product uh, in a short amount of time that people expected, um, you know, from horses that were sort of, you know, jumped off trucks and never seen people before. Seen people before. So, yeah, yeah, it was a steep learning curve. And, and from there I really sort of, you know, learned a lot, I suppose. So in those early days, you were training horses from scratch. So horses were coming to you and you were training them to saddle and teaching them how to be ridden by a person. And you had your own sort of way that you ended up um, working with those horses. And I do remember you having a very, uh, very clear reputation for being able to produce a horse that was really soft. And I know you had certain ways that you would sort of tap into a lot of these quite nervous. Um, some of them were wild horses and you, at the same time, you also decided very early on that you wouldn't go down a path of following another trainer. And that was really clear in your mind. Can you just explain why that was? Um, well, when I was in the States, uh, there, there was a few people that you know, used to hang around and stuff and 
Um, and they were following a certain style of horsemanship. And each one of those individual people probably had a lot of talent, but um, certain method. And I think some people sort of sounded more like they were parroting something. And I really wasn't that type of person. Uh, um, maybe sometimes because those people really looked up to those trainers, sometimes they didn't question those trainers enough. Um, and I think um, we should always look up and, and see the good in people, but also we should always be able to question whether what, at the end of the day you're going to be the one with your horse in that sticky situation and it's you're the one that has to make a decision and it's and it's you're going to be relying on to make a decision and sometimes when you've got somebody else's words in the back of your head it might cloud the decision that you make or it might um, sometimes stop you from listening harder to what um, you know you're seeing and feel it to make your own decision there because you might be applying something that you think is right and then you'll sort of question and push away your gut feeling saying what you're thinking is wrong because this person does this and it's right uh, and I saw that in and I thought well hang on I don't want to be that person that can't make a, a decision because um, I'm not confident enough to believe decision um because um i look up to this person for instance um and it uh, and then like it's, I, I guess i thought about it like that but years later i i met a lot of people doing clinics um that would come to me as students and heard a lot was i didn't feel right about what i was what, what, what i allowed that person to do or i started doing with my horse but i didn't have any old my gut was telling me something wasn't right. Um, so I think uh, we always have to analyse and reanalyze and be confident enough to maybe reflect on what we saw and think about it and come up with a decision, you know, that, that we've sort of thought about opposed to just, you know, parroted something else. So when you're teaching now and, and what you, do, you no longer take horses on to train, you're teaching full-time, you travel all over the place, um, teaching people with their horses one-on-one, -on -one, and you're exposed to a whole load of people and a whole load of different horses. And your training has come a lot, a long way from those early days when you were first starting horses. And one of the things that you do that is quite clearly different from many many other trainers out there is that you're really looking at how horses are feeling and and the, and what they're thinking or at least where the direction of their thoughts are um you said to me just um earlier today that a horse has a right to act so that's um fundamentally quite an acknowledgement isn't it in itself yeah well um yeah, the, the, the horse has a right to act on their thoughts, um, a right that sometimes in the quest for a certain amount of obedience that we actually sometimes take off the horse and, and to, you know, the right to act on their thoughts. And that is the sort of 
you know, I don't, I don't, you know, there's all these and theories, but, you know, the, the reason a lot of horses, you know, shut out, shut down, uh, because they've had the right to act taken away off them. And that uh, is the basis of a lot of, you know, um, problems in horses, but also if you look at it in life, um, anyone that's, you know, there's a lot of people in jobs, relationships, everything that that simple thing has been taken off them and they they, they, they sort of get very low and, and depressed and um, and it's so easy to, especially horses, because we ask so much out of horses that we sort of probably would never ask out of even a working dog. Um, so it's so important to uh, really look at that all the time and and is that horse still searching is it still alive in the mind is the hey, at clinics oh, i looked at that horse's marble stuck and 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 i just imagine this little marble rolling around inside its head and that's the thoughts just kind of working and thinking and i think you know once that's taken off them then then basically basically if they sort of you know that's when the doom and gloom starts do you find that working with a with a horse's thought um, is very similar to working with a horse's body. What's what's the difference? Well, um, the difference, the biggest difference, is is most of these changes that we see in horses, where the where the muscles loosen, are generally because the horse had just suddenly felt better about something or let go of something, let go of like a hard thought, you know, um, and, um, you know, go too far with, with what, you know, where we're going with this, this talk, um, you know, just going back a little bit. When I first started taking on a lot of horses, there was things that I was doing and applying which seemed not right because the horse and the first thing that really made me start to think is is about you know is is about pushing our horses away and how they were feeling and from that trying to understand how they felt and then project into the future um and then i i met sort of ross jacobs to him and and then from there that's when i really started to sort of think about how how the, the horse was feeling and the horse's thoughts and directing their thought, it, it all meshed in in the right order. And um, thinking about trying to direct their body and make their body do something and um, being in a horse comes through a change in their emotions and their thoughts. So... Um, Horses got a physical problem. Like, actually, an example would be at the last clinic. Uh, there's a lady who I've worked with her and a horse, but there's a there's a, her horse has got uh, stomach ulcers, and she started to get quite angry about certain things, and because of that pain. Um, but basically, um, to get rid of the ulcers, um, she has to has you know um, ulcer treatment, um, you know through through medicine and food uh but to fix the ulcers full time we're looking at the holistic 
thing, which is um, how she feels her herd situation. And there's little things that she was telling me about. She sees her sometimes just standing out there stressed, uh, though she has company. Uh, so, so we're working out how we can fix that. Uh, the other thing we're working out is education, how she feels and the decisions and anxiety she carries. Uh, the, uh, the, the adrenaline and stress in education cause the acid, which also produce, you know, will, will stimulate and produce more, more, you know, more chance of getting stomach ulcers. And, and her diet. Um, if we just looked at it as a dietary thing, well, we never fix the problem. So, so sometimes I see a lot of horses with uh, fish, uh, whether it be um, you know problems in their joints and um, uh, different sort of re repetitive uh, strain sort of things. A, a lot of that, you look at the horse and you go, "Wow, that horse is feeling very ordinary." And some people might say, "Well, that horse is feeling ordinary because it feels bad in the body, and the body needs to be fixed." And I go, "Well, hang on a minute. I think that horse has had a life of education that put its brain in such a way that it's suddenly braced and out of balance. So, because it feels so bad, its body has broken down. Now it's like a revolving door." The body setting the horse, so, so it never quite fixes. So if you got a body worker in, you couldn't get a body worker in without getting good about education again. Otherwise, it's, as I say, you're just back in the same spot every single. So the body worker comes once a month, frees the horse up, and the horse goes back in that hole again. Um, so uh, a horse that feels good moves in balance uh, and if we just think about we're directing their body and biomechanics and not addressing the way a horse is feeling i think we're not not really holistic at all helping the horse biomechanically because the mind is what controls the body so when you're looking at a horse it's a very holistic approach and it's it is very much about how the horse is feeling and feeling good in itself. So, you know, raising that horse up to, to feel good about itself. Um, and I suppose at the same time, recognizing that, that humans actually may have put it in a place where it doesn't feel good about itself through the education that it may have been given through us. Is that, if that's right. Yeah. So um, I'm, the, yes. the join up is probably um, for people who um, aren't so familiar with, a lot of horsemanship techniques is probably the one that most people will have heard of. And, um, and the join up sort of that idea in that's been presented in different films that, you know, you, um, you would chase a horse away in a round yard and until it feels that it is recognizes you as an alpha or something and, and acknowledges that and, and you change the balance and it can establish yourself. Do you, can you explain um, why you don't use that join-up technique because that's a really sort of clear one. Um, I have tried it. And uh, before I knew better many years ago in my days of horses and trying to figure out how I was going to help that horse in the short amount of time that I had, uh, but it's something I threw away because um, it, it, there's a negative in there, so it works. Um, the problem is, is you put a horse in a small space 
and you send it away. Um, the problem with it is force away then to draw it in. Um, and it, there's a few various reasons why, but um, one of the reasons why I find it a little, uh, you know, difficult is, is, is because the, the person kind of gets big to push the horse. And they so they get big and they they may push the horse push on the horse and then once that horse is sort of going then they sort of wait for it to sort of you know soften a little maybe pay a little bit of attention and then they draw so and it goes back into that drive and draw philosophy where a person gets big to drive and they get small to draw they get big to drive and they get small to draw basic sort of you know philosophy in um, uh, you know driving pressure I'm going to get big to drive. And then I'm going to draw. Some horses, you know, I used to notice you'd put them in a round yard. They were kind of already interested in you. And people would put that horse in and say, now I've got to join up with it. I'm going to send it away. And that made them feel like they, I guess they had more leadership over that horse. But at the end of the day, you know, I put a horse in a round yard and all I want that horse to do is... Um, you know, pay a certain amount of attention to me, so in me. So you now, so part of part of the process of putting a horse in a in a sort of fairly manageable space doesn't have to be a round yard, but a, you know, yard is one we can sort of move around it in a way and sort of listen to it a little bit, like some of that approach and retreat, and get the horse a little curious, and then to grow education. Um, I guess we get the horse to start making a little bit better decisions that might sort of, um, you know, us being able to sort of catch it and do stuff with it. So I think what I, you know, try and do is just get a chin and then leave it at that. So um, so sometimes when you get a horse's attention, if it, if it didn't want to pay any attention to you at all, you can do something like maybe bang your leg. So that would almost be big i do something that not big at the horse i might think as i'm walking away um so what i found myself doing over the years as i started to evolve instead of driving a horse only then to draw it i started just sort of walking around and when the horse walked away i was just walking the other way and i might just do something that might get it's a and as I got its attention, it would look at me and go, oh, he's walking away, and they get a little curious, and they start to sort of, you know, wonder what, what I'm doing, and I draw them into a conversation like that without any dominance where I was sort of trying to be some pushy horse that drew them in because what happens in the long run with drive and draw is you get big to get the horse to get big and point your energy towards the horse. The horse thinks that means go, and then you've got to get small to bring him back in again, whereas by just walking away, not small, but you were just getting interest because you were moving away from the horse, but you did something that was a little big and that horse goes, oh, well, you know, I might, I might kind of come into that conversation. So when you did something big later on, like did something, they just, uh, they just, you just got their attention opposed to you did something big and they thought, so you had to be very careful with sensitive horses because one day you might be in a bushfire or something like that and you've got to go run out the paddock at 100 miles an hour, catch your horse and drive out. And as soon as that horse sees you coming at it big, they think, oh, do they want me to go away? And then you've got to get small to draw them in again. 
so you know i want to walk up to a horse with a strong intention and never have the horse feel intimidated by me so when you overdo that sort of drive and draw you know sometimes you're getting walking into your horses with a strong intention looking at them and they think that means you're you're saying go away and i saw people over overdid a little so you know um so i found it just better with all the sort of really sensitive horses that I worked that all I need to do is get their attention and get their thought a bit interested in me without overdoing it and the thing about drive and draw uh, and sending them away a lot of horses would kind of face up and you and I didn't like that either because you were creating like a vacuum so as you're pushing when you drew away you create a vacuum which sucks the horses in and and some horses I, I like them to sort of think their way in really softly and carefully like they're going up to something that they not that they want to understand and I didn't want to create this sort of strong pressure where they feel it to get away from the pressure they have to come in I didn't want to make it like that I want their time to sort of come up as they would approach anything that they're wary of so by the time they've got to me they've made a better decision it's not just something that they had to get away and let's just stay on this driving topic at the moment too because um, that's a technique that a lot of people fall back on, um, you know, whether they need to exercise their horse and prepare it to wear a saddle so it's just a little bit more comfortable. It's just really common, and um, you know, to use that sort of uh, driving pressure so you sort of might have them out on a lunge or you might have them at liberty, but you might just have a stick or a flag and you may actually just get them to move away from you by creating that sort of, uh, the wave and it sometimes it's not very much but the horse just gets the signal and off they go in a circle around you so leaving sort of the unstarted horses aside for a moment let's talk about the trained horses with the driving pressure um can you just give a couple of examples where people may be using driving pressure in a way that may actually um not not be quite suitable for that horse's mental well-being that you sort of are quite aware of? Driving pressure, um, so there's, 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 you know, to direct a horse, you've got, you know, I'm going to talk about two basic options. One option a horse, one option is to drive a horse. Directing a horse is the horse makes a decision to go somewhere which means it goes okay it makes that decision some people think they've allowed that horse to make a decision by putting pressure on and the horse moves over there but if they, the horse was moving away from pressure it wasn't moving towards its thoughts so what that means is the horse was actually looking at the pressure just moving away from it um so you didn't the, the horse didn't make a decision so, you know, and I know some people go from driving or not, and, and sometimes, you know, people when they work with me also, they, they sometimes think even making a horse is driving, but I say it's not. If the horse has found a boundary and we've sort of done something that the horse just bounced a little off that boundary, well, it boundary and chose to walk back, but we didn't bring that boundary into the horse. Um, so... You can use what seems like driver and you can use it as directing pressure, but you have to be very careful, which, 
which um, what I see a lot of is people not very, very, they're not being very kind of just going, I'm going to start with one and then I'm just going to add more pressure until the horse moves away from that pressure. And because I've seen that happen, I'm happy to respond. And I look at it and go, the horse had no choice. It just looked at the pressure. The pressure got bigger and then it stepped away. So all the horse did was move away from pressure. So because all it did was move away from pressure, there was no thought process in it. And actually the horse was left um, in the sense that the pressure got bigger and then the horse stepped away. And the last thing that horse remembered when it went away from that pressure was oh, just that pressure. So the, the end of the transition, which is the part where the horse has to be comfortable, is the part that the horse felt uncomfortable because it escaped the escalating pressure. And that's the problem. And then later on, a few years down the track, a, a person might say, look, I just have to do this and my horse moves, so it's not driving pressure. And I go, yeah, but your horse remembered that if it didn't move, it was going to be made uncomfortable enough slightly mentally escape from that pressure so that's why it's dangerous driving driving pressure is dangerous only if it's applied very thoughtfully now very thoughtfully means that you know so some horses that i rehabilitate that are really focused on driving pressure the ones that can't look away from it um, because they just look at it and go i've got to move from it they hyper-focus on the driving pressure and they shift away from it. And then when the pressure's over there, they look at it and shift away from it. Um, those horses, because they um, lost or, be, or had the right taken away to act, uh, off them to, to act on their thoughts, their brain doesn't search. Uh, their mind, uh, like their thought left, right over there. They just focus on where the danger is and shift their body away from it. So that's, the, the I guess, the dangerous effect of overusing so those horses I will uh, use like a little bit of flag or a bit of worry and I'll just put that worry there until, but I won't allow them to move just until they go, oh, maybe I can look over there and they'll just look away from it for a second. And um, then all of a sudden they start to search and you'll see them go, oh, oh, oh I don't know if to escape from that. I can just kind of look over there and maybe do that. And, um, but that's more of a process of fixing a horse's so I wouldn't just encourage everyone go and try it unless you're really, you know, thinking about what you're doing. But, um, but yeah, the, 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 just got to be so careful because if you do it, if you do, if you drive horses, um, one, you're in responsibility. You're responsible doing everything. They're not responsible for it because all they have to do is move away from pressure. Um, so basically, when a horse gets good at moving away from pressure take 50 photos whilst they're doing uh, a leg yield because it's so easy to just move away from pressure and then start about other things and destinate but a horse that's moving towards its thoughts and thinking about what it's doing uh, is a more connected balanced horse because um, it has to engage with whatever it's doing it can't just rely on I just got to move away from pressure that's all I've got to do um, so that's the other if we're not really thinking about, um, you know, what, what the horse is doing, that it becomes micromanagement and then we've got to do everything like it's a mark, got to press every single button and the horse just responds by moving away from pressure.
Um, so it's the problem with doing our groundwork and our written work using a sort of a driving pressure kind of approach is eventually we've taken just about every right off to act on its thoughts because the horse all it had to do was think on pressure and move away from it and seek release from that pressure. I mean, further as they become release hunters, not field followers. So, you know, if I put a stick to this side of the horse and I shook it and the horse moved away from it, I'd release that move because I just escaped from that by. So after a while they get, they get addicted to hunting release and that's the horses that start to suffer from a lot of anticipation because the extra pressure that they were slightly mentally escaping from worried them. So to avoid that, they, they, they make the decision early because all they're hunting is that place where they, they're not feeling chased. Um, so, yeah, basically driving pressure is a horse and it, 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 it's not a healthy thing because it's that, you know, they're a prey animal. A prey animal like being chased, it just seeks refuge where it can sort of be comfortable and eat grass and do what, what, what prey animals do best. They are designed to run away. It doesn't mean they love it. They, they, they actually, it's the thing that is their, you know, life or death thing. Do you then establish yourself as an alpha in the sense that you're trying to get them to be with you, they make that choice. And, and if so, how do you establish yourself as an alpha without chasing them away? Well, yeah. And there was a question asked on that, which was, um, and I was sort of thinking about that question because there's been two ideas of that. And, uh, and, uh, and, um, and, and there was the question about, um, I'm, uh, a person was using approach about being in the uh, and I guess what I got out of her, her question was um, I think she was trying to be the alpha, pers- uh, alpha horse that makes the good decisions. That's what I got out of that. That I would very much agree with because we're just trying to be the one that makes good decisions that helps the horse feel better and that's our priority, okay? So, so our, our, uh, if we make a decision to pick up a rein or step over here or walk over here, whatever any situation, if we saw, we, we saw an anxiety in a horse, uh, uh, we make a decision to relieve that horse of that anxiety or make a decision that teaches that horse that it's got tools to well, make a decision that will help it relieve itself of anxiety. Particularly... Um, if you were talking about the alpha approach being the alpha confident horse, that's not the bully horse that just, you know, says, oh, okay, over here because there's a bit of instability over here and all the other horses go, yeah, that's a cool idea. We'll follow over there and, and you've made a great decision. We feel good for that. Then words, that's a really good alpha approach. But if you've gone along the lines of the people who talk the alpha approach and say, oh, you know, you've got to be that dominant horse. That, you know, and, and, and what I've seen is people, they, they, uh, they, they're, they're looking at that horse that moves the other horses around, like the stallion that rounds them up and, you know, and there or that horse that's, you know, down the pecking order a bit that just makes really bad chasey decisions and moves other horses around. And I have seen the alpha approach sold like, where, where, you know, you, you, you move the horse's feet and you push them around and you become the alpha and then they follow you around. And I don't agree with that approach because um, there are some horses that are at the top 
in the sense of the most confident and well looked up to horses in a herd that haven't there through that they've got there through very good confident decision making not i can boss you guys around really good uh yeah the the negative alpha approach is that bossy push the horse around approach and and unfortunately um you know a lot of people have taken that on as the alpha approach you know gain control and over a horse and 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 i don't think that's a good way but as i say that good decision maker by all means that's a real kind of so the decisions that you're making then that establish yourself as an alpha leader, those are decisions that help the horse to feel better. That's the difference. You're not making a decision yeah. but puts the um, horse I, in a bad place. Yeah. Like a, a thing um, I say to people like, uh, and it goes back, um, we set boundaries, we don't bring our boundaries to our horses. Like, I mean, if there's, there's a few little sayings that have kind of kept me rock solid in where I was going. I wanted to be I suppose and where I'm still going and there's a few sayings that I've never given up um, and, and one of those is set boundaries you don't bring your boundaries to your horses uh, and that's that's a really good rule of thumb another really good saying that I stand by is it's not about how your horse's feet it's just about not letting them move yours you know, so sometimes I think, you know, people sort of focus on, you know, if I move their feet, I'm going to be tougher. Uh, but the reality is to be a strong leader around your horse and to be a calm, kind, centred leader that, that the horse wants to follow is, um, you know, they just can't shift you around or, you know, move through you. And they feel that strength and um, ended by that. Um, but you start moving them around too much and you know that's when some of that relationship starts to sort of that you know that they question why why they're around you uh because of that feeling so you're obviously very very conscious of um where your horse is thinking and also how it's feeling what are you looking forward to know both of those things uh well when you walk up to a horse you know you can tell pretty quick if they they're interested in you or not. Now, now there are some horses that are still in their learning curve of life and there's some lessons that they're still struggling with and they kind of know, you know, what they like and what they don't like. And they kind of, if they're with a mob and they're out in a good paddock and, you know, you're coming over times that they might be a little not so interested in being caught. But over time, they start to sort of get that, that, that um, you know, that feeling that they kind of like hanging around. Um, yeah, so there's times that horses walk away and, you know, and they're not interested, but that doesn't mean they don't like you and like being around you. But generally, if you're going out with your horse and they sort of kind of go, you know, they kind of look away and they sort of get a bit dull looking and they look for a sort of a way out, then you know that they're really not with you and they're sort of avoiding it. Um, the other thing you sort of know is when you're around your horse, um, you put your hand up a little, they sniff, they're, they're kind of watching a little bit. You know, if you move somewhere, they, they notice it. Um, they're still sort of ears are working, their eyes are working, they're breathing naturally and not holding their breath and there's not all that sort of those signs of tension, you know, tight lips. You know, you can really see right down their face, the shape of their eyes, everything like that. Horses, is, you know, can generally carry a lot of brace in their body and stuff. So that's all the extremes of the horses that sort of feel um not so good about 
because they're showing signs of, of, of anxiety. Um, you know, some horses just get a little bit more fidgety around us and stuff, but they're generally uh, when they're not around us. Some are just really fidgety horses, and they and but but either way, um, there's still that tension there, and and and, and also some horses. I, they like us when we're in our pajamas, but they don't like us when we're in our sort of riding clothes or something. So it's not that the horse always doesn't like us; it's just that like what we're going to do to it or do with it. So when we go out in our pajamas or just out, you know, in our clothes that we're going to just say so might be interested, follow us around, and be friendly because there's something in us they like and some comfort that they get with us. But when we go out to sort of educate them, if we if our forms sort of faltered in a way that makes them feel bad, then they 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 know very quickly that they don't want to be in that place. So they, you know, they they you know go away, or their their expression changes around changes changes around us when we're educating them. Um, but you know, like I see a lot of horses that come in and they still got a bit of lack of understanding, but. They're still okay, and they're not too stressed when you're asking questions. They, uh, you know, they're they're okay with things, but then other horses generally can really see that aren't okay because of all those things I was just talking about. So I've got um, a question that did come through on this. Um, so it's you know some people might have been looking at a horse's behavioural patterns. So for example, wrinkles on their nose, their breathing patterns tipping their head away from you, the swish of a tail, all those physical things that we can see that might be telling you quite clearly they're not comfortable with the task or perhaps whatever is happening. Um, but when you're looking for that thought, perhaps that change of thought we originally talked about, are you taking all of that on board as well or are you just looking about where they're wanting to move their feet? And I'm taking in all that, emotional stress all that all that stress i see in the horse that like the physical signs that you see you know the tension eyes the brace in the body the way they're standing um the 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 stillness of everything in the horse all that sort of stuff i'm on board all the time because that what i see is my my um it's the um what I'm seeing is telling me how the horse is feeling. Um, so all those things that there's something in that horse that's not right and there's anxiety in there. So, um, And we have to get them to change that thought to get so they're not anxious. So <laughs> there's two schools of thoughts in a sense, not two schools, there might be more, but, you know, so, you know, if you just thought it was the horses, it's just like some people just blame it on anxiety and they might say, it's just anxiety. I'm just going to back off and wait till the horse relaxes. Well, yes, it is anxiety, but then you're just treating it as anxiety. So how can you help it? You can't help it because what anxiety? The reason is because of something, because of something that happened. So. So if we just treated anxiety as, as it's just anxiety and that's why the horse is carrying all that tension, I might just back off and wait a little while till the horse relaxes and then it's going to sort of, you know, then we're going to go and do something with it. It's like, well, finding the reason why the anxiety is there, there's a reason that anxiety is there. It's not just, it just didn't come in, you know, it didn't, it just didn't float in the back door and 
now it's there, there's something that caused that anxiety and there's some feeling and reason in that horse why they feel, you know, so. Um, and I think sometimes we treat, you know, we see an anxious horse, so we maybe do a little lesson where we kind of go, I'm going to do a lesson with you to get you to relax. Well, no, if we sort of focus on that, we're focusing just on the anxiety, not on the reasoning. Sometimes we have to look ourselves in the mirror and go, what did we just do that caused that anxiety, not how do we release that anxiety? And I think that's so important because sometimes we can go and do a degree on releasing anxiety and maybe just work on the tools that are relaxation tools opposed to tools of education that make our education better so the horse didn't get in that place of anxiety. So I would sort of more to look at how we direct our horses and how we can influence a thought change in that horse that gets it to let go of that anxiety. So, yes, I will do something to get that horse anxiety, but I'll generally sort of steer it in the way of education so the horse gets a tool to feel better. I've taught it something. Um, I've changed the way that horse has been, or I've tried to influence the person to um, direct the horse in a way that makes it feel better about the pressure that's going to be applied to it throughout its life opposed to just station lesson. Um, I had that make sense, but it's kind of like um, if you just, yeah, you, you, it's there and there's, there's something, something in our training that's put it there or in the environment that it's in with us that's put it there and it's trying to address that and work out how we think through that and do that better opposed to you know just just treating anxiety okay um and what about the worry cut mark so that's um sort of a, an analogy of a cup that is can slowly fill up um, with worry with anxiety with tension yep. and then once it gets so full yep. um you know it gets to the point where it overflows and that's a tipping point that's a explosion point that's a problem point and you're trying to keep the worry cup as empty as possible, or at least to acknowledge if it's starting to fill and then to kind of curb that. Um, how do you start to reduce worry with a horse? Yeah. Um, the, 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 the thing is, is a saying that uh, I, I think is the best, one of the best ways of explaining it because it, 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 it because it's a cup you and it's a really good saying and it gets you really thinking about it. And it's, a, it's a saying I believe that, you know, um, Harry Whitney and Ross Jacobs, are both, I both heard from them talk about the worry cup. And I thought, well, that's a really good way of talking about it because um, it's something that you can fix because you can tip it. So uh, we've also got anxiety uh, where you go, well, if it's a cup of worry, well, you know, there's a bit that poured in and there's a bit we can pour out look at it like that it makes it um and also by looking at it as a cup of worry that the, the worry goes in um and all comes out then you're addressing it as it goes in and being ready to tip it out opposed to just going oh there's a lot of anxiety in this horse I'm what I, I, I can't do anything by looking at it as a cup of worry um what you're doing is when you go out like uh, I guess the way I would say it is you go out 
and you watch it closely. And as you walk up, you get 10 metres from your horse and all of a sudden your horse goes from sort of looking fairly calm um, to a little bit worried. And you go, gee, that cup was pretty empty and at 10 metres, my horse, one shot of worry in the cup. How do I tip it out? Makes you think. So you've got to figure out how you can tip that out get to 10 metres next time the horse doesn't get one shot of worry um, and it makes you think about where the crept in and how you can tip it out and it makes us address that worry constantly so you go up so a bad scenario I'll, I'll give you two scenarios I guess you know I've just do it as a simple scenario where that you can sort of manage easily, and there's, and but but you'll find this through all areas of our training, and I, and I'm just going to go through walking up to the horse. My horse gets worried. I don't acknowledge that worry. Oh, it's just something the horse does. One shot of worry in the cup. I go to touch the horse. The horse tightens up a little more as I put the holder on. Right as I'm going to touch and put the holder on. Shots of worry in the cup. Um, so because I've got two shots of worry in the cup, keep any of that out. So maybe that two shot, shots of worry, it's going to come with the horse. And then all of a sudden, you know, I've been saddled for a little while. I'll put a saddle on it. Might put an extra shot in, girth it up, go to get on, I'll get bucked off. The cup's full. It's the best scenario would be when I got to 10 metres, I figured out how to tip that worry out. I might step back and wait a little, maybe work at that, maybe doing a bit of approach and retreat until the horse softens a little. And the horse goes, oh, you, you know, you, I, think, I think you're pretty good. I, 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 I trust that you can come now. You've listened to me a little bit. Um, and because you're listening to the horse, it becomes a dialogue. And the, the horses that... Express. It's easy to tip worry out because because they're constantly telling you where the worry is, where, where, when they're worried. Whereas the horses that learn to shut down, they constantly carry notes of worry and they're they're ready to to tip over all the time. So by listening to that first bit of anxiety and a little, you may create a dialogue where that horse is going to start to go. Oh, they're listening. I might talk and I might communicate. Then you've got more chance of tipping worry out. But anyway it'll be due at 10 metres, you tip the worry out. So by the time you get to catching your horse and put your hand on it, the cup's empty. So if the horse still gets worried and puts it when you put your hand on it, well, that may only be one shot opposed to two shots. So then right there you see that, you fix it. So the horse out, you still got a reasonably empty cup. So by the time you get to the saddling part of it, you're tipping that worry out as you go. So when you get on the cup's still fairly empty um opposed to just worry on top of worry on top of worry till the cup's full and that's what we got to look at with all our training you know where we how we put a leg on like i say you know just a little recent clinic the whole ulcers um we had to teach that horse to like legs and you know some people say just put leg on make that horse and then I'll say, 
hang on, this might we might it might take four or five weeks to get that horse to be truly comfortable to move off the legs softly, uh, um, because this horse is really traumatized by legs. So that is just addressing the worry that legs create and not using them as an important tool until the horse is comfortable with that. But that leg one day will cause that horse to buck the person off purely because we use half full or three quarters full and the horse is still worried about legs. So if we see it like that all the time, we're constantly addressing worry in and how we can tip it out. So that holistic approach that you've just described there and all the other things that we've been talking about, that's really how you would get a horse to be confident on the trail um, as, as opposed to sort of some other some other methods that, that don't acknowledge how the horse is feeling and thinking. Yeah, yeah. So, so obedience only goes so far. Um, point where the horse is overloaded so the horses that are true are purely obedient and they're not thinking for themselves, they constantly that they, they can't regulate, so they just kind of hold it in. And I've seen plenty of horses that might be arena trained and they kind of look super obedient, but you look close in their eye and they're kind of like hard and a bit just kind of doing the thing. And but they've been told that they have to go past that scary thing and they have to do this and they have to do that um, because the the worry of making them mistake when they evade comes on every time they evade pressure comes on every time they evade pressure comes on so they realize they're not allowed to evade they just got to kind of stay scared and keep to to stay within those tight boundaries that they've been you know put into but when they get out on that trail ride when there's top five horses or that all of a sudden they just go i I can't hold on to all this anxiety and they go boom so you know in the Oh, that horse is bomb-proof. Well, I say, well, I think that horse is grenade-proof, but I think if a real bomb went off, holy cow, that horse would go off. Um, so, you know, so constant dialogue is, is, is you know, the old sayings, the old-timers, you know, like Tom Dorrance's and, you know, like the, you know, the things like set it up to be their idea, like those sayings are like gold because they're like that's the and allowing a horse to have a dialogue and listening to that dialogue and understanding that our idea has to be their idea and we've got to figure out how we can make that happen. You know, I think, I think if we look at some of those really sound sayings, there's, 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 a, there's a little bit of gold in there that, that, you know, we don't have to do it exactly, but um, we could certainly think about how we can get our horse to think about it like that. Mark, I'm going to ask you some some questions now, some quick-fire questions. I want a quick-fire answer from you, okay? Are you ready? The first one is, do you think it's important to teach head down to lead pressure? Yeah, any pressure, any any yielding pressure is a good pressure. Uh, Head down to yield pressure will do as a relaxation exercise. Um, And uh, under the sometimes the illusion that it releases endorphins and stuff like that. Um, the only reason a horse soft you when it, uh, if you do a proper head down cue, the only reason it's not a cue, it's following a field. By the way, that's what we want. But the only reason a horse lets go of uh, the tension is because it's yielded, it's emotionally let go of that thought. It's taken on the idea of a yield, and then it feels like it relaxes. 
the head down is not a relaxation thing like some magic thing. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so many horses with the head between their legs bucking people off. So the head down uh, is not a magic thing, but the physical, when the horse lets go of the brace, yields its thoughts and goes down, it relaxes. But be careful if you're just doing head lowering because I would rather do a head lowering and a movement exercise where I can lower and move, raise and move, lower and move, so that so so the yield always goes into a thought change, into a movement, not just a, I stand still and move my head in all different directions all the time because sometimes you run the risk of a horse still being stuck in the feet space and not moving with that feel. So um, it's not a bad 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 thing if you turn it into a true thought change and turn it into a movement but if you're just doing head lowering head lowering is a relaxation exercise uh yeah you know the the, the problem of, of the anxiety is somewhere else and that exercise is just a sort of a you know uh, a way that you can say oh, i can do this and relax you but you got to do whatever made the horse anxious and, and address that do you think the crab walk is a useful tool or best avoided so the crab walk is uh, just teaching a horse to you know, uh, to move away around to get it to sort of shape up, lift the weather, move the hindquarter over and go out on a circle or something like that. Uh, so that's true because I sometimes talk about the crab, crab walk as an evasion, uh, only because I'm talking about the way the horse crabs sideways. So that's why it looks like a crab, the, the feet are moving sideways, hind feet crossing over. Um, so... When you do hindquarter yields are so important on horses. So if you do a crab walk by getting a horse just to move away and the horse is just thinking it's escaping from that uh, flag, stick pressure, whatever you're using, then the horse is just kind of maybe just stepping away, away from something down my side. And for sensitive horses and horses aren't ready for it, you have to be super careful. There's a lot more exercises you can do before you ask them hindquarter and, and bend and move out. And they have to get a lot of trust with you right down the sides before you even think about doing stuff like that. So the horse has asked you all the way past till the hind quarter and not feel troubled and not feel that it has to crab away and face up or anything like that. You have to have that where it So you can do soft forwards and backwards and there's no desire to escape and feel like there's any part of being at any angle on you that the horse is, you know, uh, or, or feel in danger. Um, and then when you do teach the hindquarter yields, it's better to teach them to do a movement that they're just softly giving now. Uh, so I would probably prefer to do a rebalancing where I actually teach that horse to move its hindquarter over through a bend and a feel. So they're connecting, I'm connecting that inside brain, uh, you know, nose to toes kind of thing, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting the horse to softly rebalance and think into that inside rein and softly move its feet over, but I'm not going to push on its hind with any pressure like a stick or a flag or energy because I want I want to connect the rein to the feet, not just sort of, you know, I'm going to connect the rein to the feet by walking, by bending it, walking into the hindquarter or something like that. Um, so it can be a, a good exercise at the right time and done with the right intention of not getting a horse to move away from undesirable pressure, then it can be a good thing. But you've got to sort of work out that yourself and how you do it. Okay, and last question for the day. Why does the release need to be a question? Well, like I was saying earlier on, horses, uh, especially the ones that 
the pressure has been the worrying thing, you know. So there's this saying, it's and it, and and it's and it's a true saying. I'm not saying it's not an untrue saying, but it's the whole basis of a lot of you know enforcement is um, the horse learns from the release of pressure. Um, so everybody gets really fixated on releasing at the right time when the horse did something. And I see sometimes we can spend our whole life face and the horse finds release. That's, that's the aim. The horse finds softness and release. And they get to a stage that we're not releasing, they're releasing, as in they're finding balance within the pressure. So instead of uh, hunting something that has they're making instead of making something go away pressure go away so i add pressure and then i take it away because the horse did it i add pressure i take it away then the horse because the horse did it if we think think like then the horses are release hunters what we're trying to get them to do is find softness within the pressure which means a feel and they end up finding the path of least resistance and they relax and put their thoughts into what by following the feel, following the path of least resistance. Now, how I can bestly explain it so people can understand what I'm saying is that your best friend put a blindfold on you and they were going to lead you down a staircase to a surprise party. You would put trust in the feel of their hand and you would follow it. But if you think about how much pressure it takes them, there won't be a lot of pressure at all. It's just you're following the idea where the hand's going. You're not pulling on it. You're not doing anything like that. You're just gently keeping your head and just following it. So basically when you're leading someone down the stairs, you're not going pull, release, pull, release, pull, release, pull, release. You're just offering a clear pathway that that horse that the sorry horse that the person follows and stays softly so the release is a question not a reward so if if that person stops you stop if it go and i see a lot of times you know especially when it comes to like uh, like an example would be inside rain exercises we pull and release that inside rain we pull and release the rain well how you release the rein determines on how that horse comes off that inside rein. So if I was on a, say, like a lunging type circle in groundwork, if I'm out a little or push that knot out a little, I want the horse to take out a wider circle and I want it to come in. It's not like pull and then release and then pull and then release. So if we always are focusing on release timing and giving a reward every time the horse does something, then maybe we'll never get to the stage that a horse ever does follow up feel so we have to be careful that we uh get the horse to um follow a feel and present a pathway the pathway that goes pull release or push pull or whatever you whatever you're doing fantastic mark like me thank you very much once again thank you jenny thank you everybody for listening You can learn more from Mark online through his online training videos. Just search Mark Langley Horsemanship. 
There's over 380 training videos which everyone has access to with a seven day free trial. If you like what you see, it's just $15 a month from there. That's help where you need it.